If you open your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 7. I'll put on my eyeballs. Okay, so for, as far as prayer requests go, the Becks have been in a car accident. They're on their way to the hospital, last we heard. Um, Versi has had her blood drawn, tested. Her numbers are up. She's going to have chemo this Friday. Uh, any other prayer requests? Yes. Elizabeth has some plates, a plate and screws in her leg, right? And she gets those out on Tuesday. And I just can't imagine that's going to be fun. So. Anybody? Else? Yes, Mike. Yeah. Okay. So be in prayer for Mike as he's dealing with an eye situation. I'm dealing with an eye situation. I'm getting older and it's harder to see things. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, sir. Okay. Doug and his family. All right. Anybody else? Okay, well, I guess we're going to welcome those that are here from Facebook Live. Uh, let's go ahead and pray, and we will get started on our notes. Father, we come this evening with thanksgiving and praise. Uh, we know, Lord, that every day, every moment that we have on this world uh, is one that you've given us. And within it, you said in this world we'll have tribulation. Uh, there'll be trials, there'll be difficulties. And so today we come on behalf of Doug and his wife and kids uh, their family situation. Pray, Father, that in these difficulties, you would grant wisdom and grace and allow them to uh, come through this in a way that's honoring and pleasing to you. Uh, we think of uh, Rob and Linda as they've been in a car accident. would ask, Lord, that you would, uh, we know already you've protected them, but as they go to the hospital, if anything needs to be dealt with, that uh, that would be the thing that would be taken care of. And that uh, she, they would be able to recover without uh, too much pain. Uh, we pray for uh, our little sister, uh, the code girl, and pray that you would uh, give, grant to her mercy and grace as she gets the plate and the screws taken out of her uh, leg on Tuesday. And pray, Lord, that um, that would go well and that there wouldn't be a whole lot of pain. And for Mike, as he continues to deal with his eye situation, Pray, Lord, that uh, he'd be able to get in and see that doctor, and if there is something that needs to be dealt with or can be dealt with, that they would uh, find that which is necessary to do so. Right now, as we open your word and we consider our reading from this week, that you would open our hearts and our minds to the things that we need to understand, that we may reckon uh, the way you have called us to do so, reckon ourselves to be dead indeed to sin. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. All right, so uh, chapter 46 in the complete green letters, uh, Romans 7, Reckoning. Um, for, uh, so, some of the stuff I got on my notes is right out of the book, and some of it is, okay, let's look at Romans chapter 7. Uh, and so uh, he starts out, if you understand the beginning of Romans chapter 7, 
uh, it, it'll, it'll save you all kinds of difficulties. It'll get you through the rest of the chapter and stuff like that. So um, in our notes here, we see the principle of the law. Letter A, the purpose of the law. Well, uh, the Bible actually says a few things. In uh, Romans chapter 3, uh, and I didn't uh, write those down because I knew I was going to be in the book of Romans. So in Romans chapter 3 and verse 19, we see, Now we know that whatever the law says speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. So notice uh, 3.19, every mouth may be stopped and the world may become guilty before God. That's one of the purposes of the law. Now, I guess uh, one of the things that probably needs to be understood is he's talking about everybody from birth until conversion. If there is no conversion, he's talking about them still. Okay? We're all born dead in our sins and trespasses. When we come to Christ... The old died, everything becomes new, and the law is not an issue for us as much anymore, and uh, he's trying to establish that here. In uh, verse 20, it says, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Uh, Turn with me, I don't know if you're still in Romans 7, but if you're not, Romans chapter 7, verses 7 to 13. Now, some people think that this is, pre-salvation experience. Some people think it's after-salvation experience. I am personally of the opinion that it's pre-salvation experience for uh, Paul, and I'll explain why as we go through it. So starting in verse 7, what should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. So again, what's the purpose of the law? For by the law comes the knowledge of sin, right? So he's talking about knowing that there's a sin issue. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. Now, question. Was Paul spiritually alive before he came to understand that the law said, thou shalt not covet? And the answer is no. He was dead in his sins and trespasses. The issue is he didn't know that he was dead. He thought he was doing fine. So when he comes to the law and the law gives him the knowledge of sin, not only that, But between the sin nature and the law, as soon as the law says no, the sin nature says, here, hold my soda, right? And it uh, it creates the desire to go against it, as we'll see a little bit further on here. But uh, seize the opportunity through the commandment produced in me, coveting of every kind. All of a sudden, he's realizing, boy, I wish I had one of those. Ooh, wouldn't that be nice? Ooh, I'd like to have one of those. And and realizes, uh uh-oh. I'm coveting, at which point now there's spiritual death. Once I was alive apart from the sin, but when the, apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. The commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. Now again, I don't know how many times the Bible says, both Old and New Testament, that if you keep the law, you'll live. 
the problem is not if you keep the law, you'll live. The problem is nobody can keep the law, okay? And so therefore, it brings death. Verse 11, for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. So for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And like I say, that's why I think that uh, Paul is talking pre-salvation experience at that point. And then, of course, in verse 21 of chapter 3, Romans 3.21, we see that uh, it witnesses to the righteousness of God. So in 3.21 it says, But now, apart from the law, God's righteousness has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. So one of the things that we can see is through the, law, through the law is the knowledge of sin. What is sin? Well, it's anything that's contrary to the character of God because the law reveals his character. If you're going to be holy, well, then you're not going to have any other gods. You're not going to make any images. You're going to have a day of rest. You're not going to use the Lord's name in vain. You're going to honor your mother and your father, da 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 all the way through, okay? And if you did all those things, well, then you'd basically be perfect. But nobody does, <laughs> okay? So it witnesses to the righteousness of God. That brings us to letter B here. The believer is not under the law. In John 1.17, it says, For by the law... Uh, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now, if that's the only verse I had, I wouldn't be able to say that the believer is not under the law. But Romans 10.4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. In fact, if you spent time in Romans chapter 4, uh, it's basically comparing the works of the law compared to faith. If you could do anything, uh, Galatians 2 says, if righteousness comes by works then Christ, or by the law, then Christ died in vain. So again, it has nothing to do with bringing righteousness, and uh, uh, anyone who believes is no longer under the law. Uh, Timothy actually says, the law is good if you use it properly. But it's for unbelievers. It's not for believers. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, there isn't something for us in the law. We're not trying to be, I believe pastor calls it antinomianists or anything like that. We're not against the law. We don't want to throw the law out. Uh, at least three times in the New Testament, Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews, and James, four times. It says that if you uh, love your brother you fulfill the whole law. So walking in the Spirit, you're going to do the things that God's called you to do, and those are uh, summarized in love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And when you do that, you'll ultimately fulfill the whole law. So we're not throwing the law out. We're just understanding we're not looking to the law to find some sort of justification or righteousness both for salvation or even after salvation. Uh, say again. Or relationship with. 
okay? So we're not looking for justification uh, either before salvation to have that relationship with God or after salvation. Boy, if my relationship with God is dependent upon walking according to the law, yeah, I'm not going to have much of a relationship with God because, well, we're going to see why as we study the rest of Romans chapter 7 here. Okay, so we're not under the law, even though the purpose of the law is the knowledge of sin. That brings us to number two. Why the law can't and what does? Now, I leave those sentences incomplete because by the time we're through this, we understand. Uh, letter A, uh, Romans 7.1, or do you not know? Now, the, we've already read that a few times in chapter 6, but uh, there's a bunch of other words in there. Uh, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Now, personally, in Romans 7, 1 to 6, he's dealing, he, he's reiterating uh, what happens when a person comes to Christ. He's basically uh, going through chapter 6, verses 2 through 10 again, but he's giving an illustration as to how that whole thing works and uh, so he's really talking about the law has dominion over someone as long as they're alive uh, or as long as they're not saved, but uh, he's going to move on from that shortly. Notice, when one tries to be or to do the Christian life, they put themselves under the law, which will always bring defeat. The amazing thing about any concept of legalism, whether it's before salvation or after salvation, is we don't even keep our own rules. We, we make excuses for when we get caught not keeping our own rules, okay? Um, those that I've known that have been relatively legalistic, here's all the rules but, you know, as soon as my kid needs to play baseball on Sunday, uh, that's okay. You know, we, we can miss church for h- how long is the baseball season? <laughs> you know, guaranteed it's not as bad as the uh, MLB, but they, they can li- miss Sunday uh, church on Sunday for two months and not think anything of it. It's kind of like, now, wait a minute, doesn't the Bible say something about church at least once or twice? And, but, yeah, it's okay. So therefore, we have these rules. This is what it takes to be holy. This is what it takes to have a relationship with God, and we don't even keep those. So uh, it it is amazing. Uh, Again, when one tries to do or be, uh, they will always put themselves under the law, which will always bring defeat. Notice the purpose of defeat, to teach the complete inability of self to live independently from God. Uh, Romans 7.24 says, I have it memorized, but I want to make sure I get it right. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this dying body? Okay. Now, this is at the end of his discussion in verse 14 through 25. He's talking about, I want to do the right thing. I don't. I end up doing the thing that I hate to do. There's sin in me. And the whole point of all of this is so you'd come to a point where you recognize, I can't do this. And 
if we weren't so adamantly independent and self-sufficient, we might actually grow in self-sufficient, independent. We struggle with pride. I'll get it right this time. No, you really won't. The whole purpose is to teach your complete inability to live, uh, of self to live independently. Okay, the why, letter A. To learn the inability of the flesh, notice in uh, verse five of chapter seven. Again, going back to the beginning here, and they get all the pages messed up here. There we go. Verse five, it says, uh, there we go. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions operated through the law in every part of us and bore fruit for death. Now, he's talking about when we weren't saved, but when we got saved, did the flesh go away? I think pastor did a pretty good job of reminding us that the concept of having died with Christ has more to do with the legal, therefore it doesn't have the authority or the power, but it's still there. Um, one of the discussions when I was uh, first going to the mission field, uh, Ken Epp, who was the director of Berean Mission, he and I were talking about this at the time, and he goes, it says it's dead, but boy, it's still pretty active in my life. And it's kind of like, well, you're dead to it. You don't have to listen to it anymore. But yeah, it's still alive, okay? Um, the next uh, point, number two, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish, Galatians 5, 17. So uh, again, God allows us all of those failures so that we'd learn. There is a part of us that is going in the opposite direction and even being saved, we can't overcome it by ourselves, okay? And, and that, I think, is what Paul's really trying to get across in the uh, latter half of uh, Romans 7. So letter B, to learn where our life is found. In Colossians 3.3, 3, uh, 1 and 2 tells you, set your mind on things above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above. And then in uh, Colossians 3.3, 3, it says, for you died. Wh who died? The old you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So again, where is your life found? It's in Christ. Uh, whenever we're walking according to the flesh, I should say in the flesh, uh, we are not experiencing life. That does not mean we don't have eternal life. That just means we're not experiencing it. When we're walking in the Spirit, not only do we have eternal life, we're experiencing abundant life. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we talk so much about that. Uh, Philippians 1.21, he says, For to me... To live is Christ, to die is gain. Now here he is contemplating, he's in prison, and he's contemplating the fact that he may uh, be martyred. And he goes, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen because you guys kind of need me for a little bit more. So I imagine I'm probably going to get out of here. But see, it really doesn't matter because for me, to live is Christ. To die, <laughs> I'm going to be with him. Uh, Julie and I were talking earlier about the videos you see 
of the military personnel coming home and surprising their families. And I don't know about you, but that's better than a Hallmark movie. Just makes you want to cry. You know what I mean? And, and, and I think one of the reasons why it tugs on my heart is I'm looking forward to that day when we arrive in heaven. Now, personally, I don't know who's going to be there as far as, you know, family or my family or anything like that. But there's only one person I want to see. Jesus. And boy, if that doesn't kind of jerk on your heart a little bit, okay, it's time to wake up. <laughs> okay? Uh, so uh, we see that our life is found in Christ. Again, the failures are meant to show you that you can't and so uh, also to teach you where your life is found. Letter B, the legal change that brings new life. Again, we find ourselves in the beginning of Romans chapter 7. And uh, let's take a look here. First of all, uh, the explanation of the law. So what is the law state? Well, marriage binds two people until death. Uh, Verse 2. Let me uh, read a couple verses for you here. Verse 2. For example. So let's go back and read verse 1 since uh, verse 2 is an example of it. Since I am speaking to those who understand law, brothers, are you unaware that the law has authority over someone as long as he lives? For example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law regarding the husband. So that's a simple one. We have the the little statement in there, until death do you part, right? So the idea is you get married and you're stuck unless one of you dies. I think that's why Ruth Graham once said that um, divorce was not an, uh, not an option, though murder was. Uh, you know, just saying. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, so that's the, that's the law. Now notice verse 3, breaking uh, the law or not breaking the law. My... Uh, Or's got a little bit too much in there. Verse 3. So then, if she gives herself to another man while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. There's your breaking of the law, okay? And the results thereof. Now, for those that are listening online, boy, why anyone has to do this, but I have to. If you have found yourselves in these kinds of situations in the past, I am not talking about you. I am talking about Romans chapter 7, verse 3, okay? Uh, If the Spirit of God is speaking to you about something, then please deal with it, but don't be offended, okay? Uh, It goes on to say here, uh, but if her husband dies, she is free from the law. Then, if she gives herself to another man, she's not an adulteress. And again, an understood concept here is remarriage. Okay? Uh, By the way, in just about, I I believe, every passage in the Bible that talks about divorce always talks about remarriage because it's presumed that you're going to end up being remarried. Obviously, for the woman, uh, back in the day when most of this was written, It's not as though she'd go out and get a job. And so therefore, she would be made an adulteress because the only way she could support herself would be probably through prostitution or something like that. Uh, So uh, every 
New Testament passage that deals with marriage is going to uh, presume that remarriage, or marriage and divorce is going to presume that remarriage is going to happen. So, yes. Uh, yes, obviously. Uh, reason why it's not necessarily spoken of uh, back here is you might remember, uh, I believe it's in Matthew, someone comes and talks to Jesus about, uh, you know, uh, Moses uh, permitted us to write her a bill of divorcement. And he points out that uh, the only reason why you were permitted to do that was because of the hardness of your heart. Uh, the rabbis come along and they basically, you know, if she burned the toast, you could divorce her, especially if something cuter was right over there. I, I mean, they, they allowed divorce for just about anything and you just had to follow all the rules, write a bill of divorcement. And so here you are leaving women uncared for, unable to care for themselves and putting them in a position. So it was uh, more, you didn't have to say that to a man because, well, he could just go get another job or take his, take his job and kick her out of the farm or whatever the case may be. So, but uh, yes, uh, marriage binds two people until death, doesn't matter, husband or wife, breaking the law or not breaking the law, verse three. If he were to be the one that would go out and uh, find someone else before she's uh, dead, then he'd be called an adulterer. But if after she dies, he goes, uh, it's not a big deal. So that, that's kind of easy to understand. Top of the next page. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. If her husband dies, she's free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she is married to another man. Now, that's the example given as to uh, the law situation. The example, he's, he's not as concerned about talking about marriage, divorce, and remarriage as he is the illustration of what happens to us when we're born again, okay? So that brings us to number two, the application. Our union with Christ is only made possible through our positional death with Christ. Romans 6, 2 through 7, 7, 4a, and 6. So let's take a look at those. Chapter 6, we've already dealt with these verses, but we'll read them again. Absolutely not. How can we who, are, uh, who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the new way of life." For if we have been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin's claims. Okay, and then again, 7-4-A Therefore, my brothers, you were also put to death in relation to the law through the crucified body of the Messiah. And then 6a, but now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us. Okay? So our union with Christ is only made possible through our positional death with Christ. When we talk about being baptized by the Spirit of God, if you've ever watched any of these wonderful people that are on uh, 
church TV Sunday morning or any other time, and they talk about being baptized in the Spirit. Normally, they touch someone, and they pass out, fall back, and they're slain in the Spirit and all that kind of stuff. It's really bad theology. When a person is born again, the Spirit takes that person and takes them from the realm of darkness, translates them to the kingdom of his dear son. Another way of saying that same thing is he baptizes them, he places them into the invisible organism called the body of Christ. And then he seals them there until the day of redemption. They can't get out, okay? People that come to church, and I don't care if they come for 10 years, and they leave, and they live like an unbeliever, Here's what I can say about them. No one can know if, they're really, if, they were, if they were saved. They don't look like it now. The Bible says they left to prove that they weren't one of us. I recognize that people can get bitter about any number of things, and bitterness will ruin a person's life, and they will go off and do things that maybe they wouldn't normally do. And again, we're not always that good on discipleship, so I can see someone who matured to a certain point, plateaued, got their nose bent out of joint about something, left, and go off and do stuff that it was part of their nature anyway, but they're not going to church. They're not having fellowship with God's people. There's no spiritual input. One can see why they could do anything that an unbeliever could do. Again, are they saved? No one knows except for God. But we'll treat them as though they're not. We'll try and witness to them and get them to come back, that kind of thing. But, you know, so often that's not going to happen. But again, uh, when we are baptized by the Spirit of God, we're made a new creature. We have a new heart, a new spirit. We have the Spirit of God living in us, all part of uh, the blessings of Abraham. And that union is made possible because the old, we have died to the old. We've been legally separated Sin is no longer our master. We still listen to him too often, but he's not our master. We have a new master. So that brings us to letter B. Our positional resurrection with Christ joins us to his life and the power to live. Again, going back to chapter 6 and verse 8 through 10. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For in light of the fact that he died, he died to sin once for all. But in light of the fact that he lives, he lives to God. And so anything that's true about him, because we've been baptized into him, is now uh, true about us. We have, been, we have died to the authority of sin in our life, a legal concept. And uh, we've been raised with him to walk in newness of life, to live unto God just like him. And then 7.4b says, uh, you crucified body of the Messiah so that you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we may bear fruit for God. And then 6b, uh, we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old letter of the law. So again, uh, the application of the woman, her husband needed to die before she could be joined to another. 
We needed to die to our sin nature before we could be joined to Christ. But when we're joined to Christ, uh, everything that this, these two chapters are talking about is now true about us, okay? So that brings us to letter C. Guys, might get out of here early. Uh, dueling laws of the flesh and the new creation. Well, first of all, uh, the law of sin. Uh, let's, let's take a look at Romans 7, a few verses here. Uh, starting in verse 17. So now, I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. Uh, verse 20. Well, let me, let me just read this section for you because uh, you can see the verses as I read them, um, and you'll see that the law of sin dwells in the body of the believer. Uh, starting in verse 13, Therefore, did what is good cause my death? Did the law cause my spiritual death? Absolutely not. On the contrary, sin, in order to be recognized as sin, or the knowledge of sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that through the commandment, sin might become sinful. What did I think about my sin before the law come along? I didn't think it was that bad. In fact, kind of liked it. After the law comes along and I recognize it as sin, I'm seeing it as that's sinful. Okay? Uh, he goes on to say, uh, sinful beyond measure. Verse 14, for what we know, uh, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am made out of flesh. Now, obviously, not talking about the spiritual flesh concept here, talking about his body. I'm made out of flesh. But because I'm made out of flesh, I'm sold into sin's power. In other words, if sin is going to operate, it's going to operate right here because of this physical body. I live in a physical world, and though the truths of spiritual uh, world behind the whole scenes is all there and real in my life, because I live in this, spirit, this physical world, my body is influenced by things that I see, things that I want, things that I have, and uh, it shows itself in sin. Verse 15, for I do not understand what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, right off the bat, the thing you probably need to see here is I want to do one thing and I hate the other. Now, why is that important? Who is Paul associating himself as or with when he's writing this? What's that? As the believer, or if you will, as the new creature. Okay, the reason why I say that is because before we're saved, do we hate sin? We may hate the consequences of it. But as Hebrews says, sin is pleasurable and we go all out for it. Do we really want to please God before salvation? No. So obviously he's speaking as a new creature. He's not speaking as the old man. Now the reason why this is important is because he still has this body of sin that he lives in, but he doesn't associate himself with the body. He associates himself with the new creature. Why do I say that? Does my body still like some of the sin that I used to do? Yeah. In fact, because my body likes it, we have songs like, and by the way, I like this song. It's just not 
accurate, biblically speaking. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Yeah, I am. Christ died for sinful men among whom I am chief. But he's not writing from that perspective in Romans chapter 7. He's a new creature. The new creature wants to please God, hates the sin that is so easily fallen into. Okay? So verse 16. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. Again, if you look at uh, Romans 8, you'll find that the old man is not subject to the law of God, neither can it be. So obviously he's talking about the new man here because he wants to do uh, the law. He wants to do what is good. uh, And he agrees that the law is good, even though he can't do it by himself. Verse 17, so now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. I'll be honest with you, the first time I read this verse, as well as I think verse 20, uh, verse 20 says, I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin that lives in me. You got to wonder why he had to say the same thing twice, because we're that dense, okay? But the first time I read these verses, I wasn't even saved. But uh, after I was saved, it's kind of like, you know, this is pretty good. It wasn't me, Lord. It was the sin that dwells in me, you know, kind of a scapegoat type. No, 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 no. That's not what he's saying at all. It's not the new nature, the new creature that is sinning. It's the law of sin in his members that makes him continue to fall down on his face in defeat. Because even as a new creature, he cannot overcome the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He wants to, but he can't. So it's sin in him that causes him to fail. And hopefully you'll see that by the time we're done here. And then in uh, verse uh, 18, For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me. That's a new creature. But there is no ability in the new creature to do the good that I want to do. Why? Because there's nothing good that dwells in my flesh. Now, if we really understand this, help me understand where any believer should have any concept of self-righteousness. The whole point of this is you can't do it. You need the Spirit of God. And that's why chapter divisions and verse divisions sometimes hurt us because the answer to chapter 7 is found in chapter 8, verse 2, and we're not going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about it next week. (laughs) Okay, I will mention it a little bit later. He goes on, verse 19, For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin that lives in me. So I discover this principle, or if you will, this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is with me. Okay, that is me, the new believer, or the new creature in this body. I want to do good, And evil is still living here. Okay? Uh, Verse 21. uh, uh, Verse 22. For if in my inner self I joyfully, for in my inner self I joyfully agree with God's law, 
But I see a different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. Uh, That's basically what Galatians 5.17 said. We read it earlier. Let me read it again for you. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these things are contrary to one another so that you cannot do the things that you wish. Uh, One version says do not do. Another version says cannot do. It's irrelevant. You don't. Okay? Um, Again, the new creature doesn't overcome the flesh by itself. So notice, the law of sin, it dwells in the body of the believer, and it causes the believer to trip and fail. Now, we did not read verses 24 and 25. We'll get there momentarily. Um, that's what the law of sin. Now, number two, the law of the new creature. Well, notice the new creature wills to do good and wills to not do evil. And again, I've read those verses for you other than verse 25. Verse 15, the new creature hates sin. And then uh, letter C, the new creature agrees with the law, verses 16 and 22. So the good conclusion, even as a new creature, notice verse 24. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death is, I think, how the New King James says it. My Bible says this dying body. As long as I'm in this dying body, this body of death, sin is going to be an issue. I remember when I was down in Brazil, we had had a uh, family conference or a youth conference. I can't remember which. We were up at the campground about an hour outside of the city. And uh, some of the youth were hanging around because we had cleaned up the whole place as a bus hauled the rest of them off. Um, And so somehow we were talking and we got on the song, Who Let the Dogs Out? So I translated that into Portuguese and sang it to them. And of course, they thought it was hoot. Now, I'll be honest with you. The only line of the song that I know is, who let the dogs out? Who, 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 who? That's it. I have no idea what the song is about. Don't really care. Just in case you want to say, oh, I can't believe you did that. Because that's exactly what one of the missionaries did. They, one of the missionary ladies there looked at Lynn and goes, I guess some of us, we're not going to be straightened out until we get to heaven. Now, I don't know what you thought about that statement, but basically, they were straightened out and I wasn't. And I I want you to know something. As long as you're in this body, sin's going to be an issue. Which tells us a couple things. Maybe we shouldn't be so quick to judge people when they do it. How, How does Galatians 6 say it? You who have the Spirit, restore such a one. And do it with a spirit of meekness. Understanding, you can fall on your face too. Ouch. I don't know about you, but that's a good reminder for all of us. There's really no place for self-righteousness as long as we live in this body. Because even as a new creature, I can't overcome some of what goes on inside here. Okay? All right, so verse 25, or uh, yeah, 25. Well, 24, I didn't finish it. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this dying body? 
I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So where's our deliverance coming from? Jesus Christ. Now, this is not for salvation. This is for sanctification. How can I live the life that God wants me to live? It's only through Jesus Christ. Or if you will, Romans 8, 2, it's right there. Because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and of death. That's what Romans 7 is all about. Got this law of sin, law of uh, sin and death in me. And the only way I can overcome it is through the law of the spirit of life, or if you will, walking in the spirit, being filled with the spirit, letting the word of Christ dwell in me richly, having the fear of the Lord, all of those are gonna be somehow intermingled, okay? Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then, with my mind, I myself am a slave to the law of God. As a new creature, everything that I think, do, say, <coughs> sorry about that, hopefully is going to be based on the Word of God, okay? But, still got a part of me. He goes on to say, so then with my mind, I myself am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh, to the law of sin. Now, from what we've just read, what are the two areas where you can walk? Spirit or the flesh? They're contrary to one another. If you're walking in the one, you're not walking in the other. And if you're walking in the other, you're not walking in the one. Now, why is that important? I mean, it's a simple truth, right? When we do things, evaluation. After you've done it, Okay, was that something that someday I might hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Or is that one going to burn up in the fire? Now, why would I evaluate? Because whatever brought about the response that I just gave is going to happen again in my life. Trials are like that. If I don't evaluate, I just keep on going, what happens? I go through the trial again and again and again and again and again. Why? Because I didn't learn the lesson. If I evaluate, I might actually be able to consider, hmm, I know what's going to happen. If I stay on this path in the midst of this trial, I'm going to end up falling on my face. Now, why is that important? Because at 42 years of spiritual age, I recently went through a flesh response. You'd think I would have learned by now, right? Flesh doesn't change. So I have to remember and remind myself so that the next time this wonderful, stressful family situation arises, okay, Lord, give me wisdom, grace, so that I can respond properly. Otherwise, I know how it's going to end up. So there's your uh, good conclusion. Even as a new creature, I am still tainted by sin, verse 24, and I need Jesus Christ or else... I will fail. So that brings us to number three. Positional truth sets the groundwork for reckoning. <clears throat> if we're going to reckon ourselves indeed dead to sin, we have to not only understand that positional truth and the battles that go on, but it's only the groundwork. It's not the final thing. Letter A, the positional truths. <clears throat> number one, we have died to the law. Romans 7, 4 
Uh, Galatians 2, 19 and 20. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, in 2.20, a lot of your Bibles will say faith in the Son of God. It is the faith of the Son of God that we're living by. Uh, that is uh, shown by the grammar of the Greek as well as um, elsewhere in Scripture. As a new creature, I can't do it by myself. It's not a matter of me. Faith is a gift also. Okay, uh, uh, number two here. We have been delivered from the law, Romans 7, 6. <clears throat> but now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old letter of the law. We've been released from it. We've been delivered from it. And then number three, we are not under the law, 6.14 and uh, 6.14 and Galatians 5.18. Galatians 5.18 says, If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the reason why that verse is important is, if you're walking in the flesh, you're still under the law, not in the sense of positionally, but in practice, you're going to try and justify yourself by rules and regulations by the letter instead of by the Spirit. That was the point of the book uh, that he was trying to make in there. Okay, that brings us to the power for deliverance from the law is tied to the relationship to the risen liberator. Now, when I say relationship here, I'm not trying to say you got to be saved. That's obviously true. But Christ came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. All too many people are satisfied with their religion, and they have life. Few seem to be the ones that find abundant life, spirit-filled living. Now, A.W. Tozer hints at that in just about every book that I've read of his so far, and that was 70 years ago. What's it like today? I remember pastor saying a few years ago, we've gotten so far away from the spirit-filled concepts that I'm not sure if we can even find our way back. Now, I, I, I understand the frustration of the statement. I think we can find our way back, but we're going to find the answer in the Word of God. We're not going to find it sitting in the pew, uh, warming it, being satisfied, because this is the way we've always done it. No, it isn't the way we've always done it. It's just the way we've done it for as long as we've been around. And we don't know how it was done beforehand because no one's doing it that way anymore. But it doesn't mean it can't be done. Okay? So the power for deliverance from the law is tied to the relationship to the risen uh, liberator. Again, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Follow the next several verses. Go over to Ephesians 5.18, but be filled with the Spirit. Follow the rest of the verses. You're going to find they match. So letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly has something to do with uh, being filled with the Spirit, and those are going to be directly related to 
how your relationship with Jesus is actually going. Okay? Um, in uh, Matthew, uh, well, I'll share Matthew with you in a little bit. But let's look at uh, the power of deliverance. Number one, Christ is the power of God. 1 Corinthians one twenty four. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. You know, if we're looking for wisdom, it's in Christ. If we're looking for power to live the way God wants us to live, it's in Christ. So our relationship with him is directly related to our deliverance from the law of sin, etc. Number two, he has made us free. <clears throat> Romans 6.6 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Uh, Galatians 5.1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now notice, we're to stand fast in the freedom and make sure that you're not being entangled again. What does that mean? That you can be. Now, for the Galatians, <clears throat> Paul had gotten them out of any kind of justification by the works of the law, and they were trying to put themselves back under that. For many of us, where we're not really too worried about the law because we didn't come from it and don't necessarily want to go to it, but we may have come out of sin. And now, if you're not learning how to walk in the Spirit, you walk in the flesh, what are you going to do? You're going to be your old self. And a lot of people like to say, a Christian can't do that. Look at all of the passages that list all the deeds of the flesh. Who's he writing to? Christians. And he's telling them, here's how you escape that. Do this and you won't be doing that kind of stuff. But if you're not doing this, guess what you'll probably be doing? That kind of stuff. Now at that point, you probably ought to wonder whether or not you're born again because these people ain't going to heaven. Okay? That kind of a thing. So don't be entangled again. And then uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, this is an invitation. Some say it's an invitation for salvation. And then there's a second invitation right after it. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, and I will give you rest for your souls. The second invitation is for the believer. Okay, I've gotten the rest from the worries about what's going to happen, but now I need the rest of entering into the land of rest where I cease from my own labors and yet I'm still doing battle against the enemies of God. <coughs> Sorry, I got a little tickle. And I'm almost done, so we'll get through it. So he has made us free. Number three, the purpose of the positional truth is so that we would live unto God. <clears throat> Look at some of these verses. Romans 6.10. <clears throat> Excuse. 
For in light of the fact that he died, he died to sin once for all, but in light of the fact that he lives, he lives to God. Uh, Romans uh, 7, 4. Therefore, my brothers, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the crucified body of the Messiah so that you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we may bear fruit for God. Verse 6. But now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old letter of the law. Romans 14, 6 and 9. He who deserves, uh, observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord he does not uh, observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives th- God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. 2 Corinthians 5.15 And he died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Galatians 2.19 For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. Hebrews 9.14 How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? 1 Peter 4.2 That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men but for the will of God. So the purpose of the positional truth is so that we would live unto God. Wow. Hopefully, I didn't muddy up the waters more. Romans 7 is, most of us live in Romans 7 for I don't know how many years of our life. We want to do what's right. We struggle because as a new creature, we desire to do the right. We don't want to do the wrong. We end up doing the wrong anyway. And we really do have to get into Romans chapter 8, but the purpose of all of the failures is to help you to see you can't do it. The law is all about your self-effort. You can't do it. You have to be filled with the Spirit of God or else anything you do is basically a product of the flesh. A few weeks ago, uh, one of our lessons basically taught that Someone should sit under the teaching of the word before and that service should come from a heart that's filled with the word. Why? Because service that is just done because that's what we do is just self-empowered. And when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, anything that's self-empowered is going to be wood, hay, and stubble. Passing through the fire, coming through his ash. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't have a one and everybody should sit in here? No, they definitely need to be about the business of feeding the soul. 
and I'm sure some of them are, and I, I'm not saying that as a put down to anybody, because I'll be honest with you, in, in times past, we have been guilty as a church of looking for warm bodies. If the person is bleeding, I mean breathing, and their, their blood is pumping through their body, they can do this. Kind of like, yeah, they can, but there's no reward for doing it because it'll all be flesh. And what does flesh produce? Flesh. And we've, we've religionized flesh so that we can do anything that church does without any spiritual power at all and wonder why our kids leave and don't come back, why the world looks at us and mocks and laughs. I recognize that anyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus is going to suffer persecution, but the world isn't persecuting people because we're just so godly. You're the salt of the earth, and if the salt loses its saltiness, what's it good for? Tossing on the ground and being run over by men. Oh, so chapter 7, we spend time there. Let's look to how we can get into chapter 8 and live for the glory of God. Any other prayer requests? Yes, sir. Okay. Doug's sister, brain surgery, the 20th of this month. And her doctor's name is Frankenstein. No, that's not it. Uh, Chuck? Her first name? Kathy. Kathy. Let's pray for Kathy that she would be able to find a church down in her area. Yes, Sheila. We've gathered a lot of Berean and legacy students and staff for our sick. Yes. A lot of Berean and legacy staff and students sick. Uh, Lynn brought some of it home over the weekend. And um, yesterday morning, night before, we prayed. I specifically prayed, Lord, help her to get over this because sometimes it gets down into her lungs and then has asthma problems and stuff like that. And um, she got up the next morning and she was real congested. That's a nice way of saying it. And uh, so I prayed for her again at breakfast time and by lunchtime, she was good enough to go and do lessons and uh, come to the school board meeting last night. So praise the Lord. Now she's not perfectly well, but uh, yeah, it's definitely going around. So pray for the Berean and Legacy students and staff. Was that? Yes, I, I can hear that in her voice. Yes. Okay. Well, let's uh, go ahead and pray. Anyone can pray. Uh, when I hear some silence, I will pick it up and close this out.
But I think that you know, freed us from the probably the bondage with the curse of law. And it was again by your, your grace that uh, walk in the spirit. So Lord, we thank you that we can also encourage one another to uh, walk with you. And so I pray that we just said, sister, that uh, she'll find the fellowship that will uh, not accept her, but she accept them in, in the spirit of Christ. And that she may have somebody there that will uh, disciple her, make her under her wings, and she may grow. We pray for Doug's sister also, that she's having this great surgery. We thank you that you have given us the means to do this type of work. So people that you have endowed with that skill. But prepare her body right now for the time that she'll have the surgery. Prepare the doctors and she may come through it knowing that uh, it was you who had, had given her the healing. And for the Becks, and not only the Becks, but just others who were in this car accident, uh, that you would have diagnosis that they need, whatever may have happened to the, to the accident, but give them healing <coughs> and uh, comfort, and we just uh, again, return to your hands. And we think also of uh, a lot of kids, and may they grow in your grace as they hide your word in their hearts, that they may, uh, by your spirit, be led to continue in the faith and we ask that be your will that they'll continue in the faith here at Edgewood Bible Church and be future leaders and the future teachers and pastors. And so we thank you for your faithfulness there. We bring to you also the Korean uh, Legacy Schools and, and uh, illness that's going around that you have to healing and comfort Lord, this time. So again, we leave ourselves in good hands, Lord, that you're doing a good work among this congregation, and may we do it in your spirit. Lord, as we close out our time tonight, we do thank you for your word. <clears throat> there are times when it's it's difficult to uh, grasp some of the things that is uh, revealed to us, but we know, Lord, that as we continue to study and search that your spirit will enlighten our eyes. As we've considered Romans chapter 7 tonight, as well as some of uh, other verses, Lord, that you might open our eyes and give us grace to see our complete inability to live for you, to serve you, <clears throat> to bring glory to you, in our own strength. I think most of us would admit to that, but we continue to live in chapter 7, failing in so many ways, partly because we haven't figured out how to overcome, partly because uh, we, it hasn't, our eyes haven't necessarily been open to uh, those things. But uh, Lord, 
partly because we're not all totally sure exactly how to be filled with your spirit. Uh, we know the words, but even when the leadership recognizes, okay, I know this is involved and that's involved and that's involved, but uh, I would ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to the truth of not only a spirit-filled life, but an experience that we would be able to experience it, see it for what it is, and uh, move into Romans chapter 8 and uh, be led by your uh, spirit as uh, your children, uh, honoring and glorifying you in all that we say and do. Father, we think of uh, Doug's sister as uh, she has some surgery on uh, the 20th of this month. Pray, Father, that you would give the doctors wisdom, steady hands, and that she might be able to come through this with flying colors. And if there's anything that needs to be uh, fixed there, that uh, they would be able to figure that out and take care of it. Um, Lord, we do think of uh, how many people are struggling with uh, cold or illness at this time and pray that you would strengthen our bodies and our immune systems and uh, give those that are down grace to get back up and those that are up grace to uh, continue on and, and not come down with it. Uh, we do thank you, Lord, for uh, seasons and all that you do and uh, some of the spiritual uh, pictures that are given through that, uh, but we do ask that you give us wisdom as we deal with the change of weather uh, seems to go back and forth these days. Father, teach us to walk with you. Give us grace to do so. And Lord, that uh, your people would shine forth as a city on a hill like, there's, uh, like they should be. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All righty, you're dismissed. Uh, Lord willing, see you on Sunday. Oh, uh, are we off there, Dale? No, well, you guys can respond too. Um, Sunday morning, the 24th, Christmas Eve. Um, pastor uh, never does anything on Christmas Eve. Uh, he goes, visits family, stuff like that. So I'm planning on being here on Sunday morning. I uh, just want to know if you guys, because it's Christmas Eve, are looking for an excuse to uh, skip or come. Well, if we have one on Sunday morning, and it is Christmas Eve, if, there, if it was Saturday, I'd do one on Saturday evening, but it's, since we have Christmas Eve, we'll have it on Sunday morning, which I know you guys will be a blues. Enjoy. Um, church hopping. <laughs> but uh, so just letting you know, we are looking at Christmas Eve morning being here. Uh, whether or not we'll have Sunday school, we'll figure that out as we go along, but we will have church. So, okay. All right. Come back when you spend some more money. <laughs>